Let's uh, open up our Bibles to uh, John chapter 6. We start off by saying that it's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm glad to be back with y'all. Thank God for Pastor Laramie, who was uh, able to uh, preach last week, and I did listen to the sermon. It was fantastic. I praise God that uh, I can... I can leave and take care of things that need to be taken care of, and uh, that there is a, a, a man that God has uh, equipped to bring the word to the church, and, and the quality is not missed at all. It was a wonderful sermon, and we're just praising God for how he used Pastor Laramie last week. Um, as far as today, we are in John chapter 6, and this is a, let me tell you, this is an important piece of scripture here. We're going to spend some time here in John chapter 6 just because of the importance of it. And I, I, I wanted to, I, I don't want to rush through this, and I want to make sure that we understand uh, what is being said here by Scripture. So I, I originally had a larger portion of Scripture to preach on today, but then I went ahead and scaled it back just so that we can set up the, uh, the dialogue that Jesus has concerning him being the bread of life. And that's my goal today is to set that up and to give us a good understanding of, of him as the object of our faith. And our passage, like I said, is first found in John chapter 6, verse 22. I'll start there. It says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where he had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks, or where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So, first thing that pops into my head when I read the scriptures is, is how we have to face things every day that are fighting for our devotion. We're tempted in every way, every single day, to just devote our lives to the things around us. Things that have no real transcendent value, but yet they require much of our time, much of our devotion. But if we really slow down and take a look at things and evaluate things for what they truly are, there are only a few things that are worth receiving our full devotion. And at the very top of that list is the Lord, his word, and his church. And I think it's important for us to start there and to... to immediately point that out, that it's the Lord, his word, and his church that, that require, not only require, but deserve our full devotion. 
And the reason why it's wise for us to do that and to devote ourselves to those things is because if we devote ourselves to those things, the Lord, his word, and his church, everything else in life, all of our other priorities will fall naturally into place. They certainly will. Nothing will be neglected if we devote ourselves to the Lord, his word, and his church. Everything else will naturally and properly fall into place. And that includes the things that take most of our time and require most of our devotion, our families, relationships, careers, the things that we live with day in and day out. See, the problem is, though, and the problem in this passage, is that in the world today, people give their devotion to lesser things than the Lord his word, and his church. They give their full devotion to the things that they are blessed with instead of giving it to the one who has blessed them. And we have to be careful as Christians not to do that. We have to be careful to make sure that Christ is the object of our faith, that he, he himself not what he can provide for us, but that he himself is what we are worshiping. Not the blessings that come from him. See, when people focus their faith in things other than God, we have to acknowledge that they severely fall short of their life's purpose. I think it's pretty popular today, and you know, not only today, but as far as humankind has existed, to find your purpose. And as Christians... We know that answer, at least we should. Because the answer to that question, that, that, that age-old question of what's life's purpose, we know that our purpose is to worship the Lord and to serve him. See, and we get that purpose from his word because we know that in his word, all the way back in Genesis, when he created man, he created man in his image. So we know that we are his image bearers and the purpose in our life is to seek, find, and serve the Lord. That's what the purpose of our life is. So when we give our devotion to lesser things and we place our faith in them, we fall severely short of God's life's purpose for ourselves. When we seek and serve the things that are created instead of the creator, we have to acknowledge and we have to admit to ourselves that we commit adultery and we sin against him. I think that's a very important uh, place for us to start this morning. And since, we, since that leads us to idolatry and sin against him, it's important that we repent from that. But we have, to know, we have to know how. We have to know what we are doing wrong. And we have to know why it's wrong. So that's why it's extremely important for us not to lose sight of God as the object of our faith and worship. Because Christ alone, and this is the sermon summary here, but Christ alone must be the object of our faith in order for us to receive forgiveness for our sins and for us to have peace with God. There is, there is no other way. If we, see, if we replace Christ with anything else, then we're going to fall short and we are not going to receive the forgiveness of our sins and we are not going to have peace with God. And that includes making the things that 
Christ has blessed us with as the object of our faith. Because that's exactly what is occurring here in this passage. In our passage, we're going to discuss a group of people who sought after Christ for the wrong reasons. And we'll see his response. And my prayer is that we all learn something here, some very important lesson about truly following Christ. So I want to start with verses 22 through 26, kind of unpack those before we get to the, uh, to the final verse in verse 27. In verses 22 through 26, we see, as I said before, a group of people who are following Christ, but it's not like you expect, and it's not as it should be, because these people are not following Christ because he is their savior. They're not acknowledging that. Rather, they are following him as an idol and not the true God. This is a very important discussion before we get into the I am the bread of life conversation. I am the I am the bread of life conversation is extremely important because Jesus spends the time talking about our salvation. And there are a lot of thoughts about salvation, how one comes to salvation, you know, what what our part is, how what God's part is. In, in this discourse here in chapter 6, it's all taken care of. It's all explained. Not that it hasn't been explained already because we've had that conversation um, or we've had that sermon preached already several times in this book already. But here, the I am the bread of life discourse from Christ is one of the most important in the gospel because of its teaching on salvation. And it begins with making sure that we have the right perspective. And that's what verses 22 to 27 teach us, that we have the right perspective concerning who is the true object of our faith or who should be the true object of our faith. Now, obviously, and I've said it already, I want to say it again, that the, the object of our faith is Christ. But that's not the question today. More importantly, or the more important question is, why do we follow him? I think every Christian knows, yeah, I, I know I, I have to believe in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I think we, can, we all acknowledge that as Christians. But the important question for us to ask ourselves is, why do we follow him? And I think the answers may vary. Honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, it may vary. Is it because he has saved your soul and you truly, 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 you have nowhere else to go? You realize that he is the savior of your soul, that he is the supplier of your life. Is that it? Or do you think um, you follow him because in him, in him you are promised stuff? Is that it? Do you follow him because in him you are promised stuff? Now, I don't think anyone would admit that they follow Christ for the wrong reasons. But you know what? Sometimes we don't even see it ourselves. Our lives tell the story. What we do, why we do it, what we say, how we say it, that tells the real story of our motives. It seems crazy that someone would follow Christ just to get stuff, but 
It happens all the time. It happens today. And it's happening, or it happened in our passage. In verses 22 to 26, we see that after Jesus fed the uh, 5,000, which was more than 5,000, uh, we, we, we recognize that it was between maybe 15 and 20,000 instead of 5,000 when you add the women and children. Uh, when he did that wonderful miracle and he multiplied the food and everybody was full, it was a wonderful picture of how the Lord provides. And people stayed around there. They didn't just leave. Uh, they stayed around the area and they stayed there to see what Jesus would do next. Obviously, he just performed this wonderful miracle. They're thinking, what's next? Now, after Jesus performed that miracle, they sought to make him an earthly king, the scriptures say. But then Jesus, he was able to retreat away from them and he took that time to pray. And the, the, in, in Pastor Laramie's message last week, he talked to you about how Jesus walked on water. That night, he sent his disciples away. And then Jesus caught up to them by walking on the surface of the water. And as Christians, we're very familiar with that story because it just blows our minds on, on how that could be done. But this was a wonderful display, again, of God's power and his provisions for his people. But the disciples were the only ones to see it. And then the next morning in verse 22, Jesus tells us that, or the Bible tells us that the people in that area and others from Tiberias were looking for Christ. They, he had performed this miracle and the next morning they went around looking for him, couldn't find him. And they thought it was peculiar because they saw his disciples leave. They left on a boat without him, and there was still another boat, and that boat was, was supposed to be for Christ. But they know that he wasn't around, and the boat, the boat was actually still there. So they couldn't find him on land. They searched and searched. They couldn't find him on land. So they went to the sea. They couldn't find him there. And they found him across the sea in Capernaum. But when they find him, they are, first of all, they are ecstatic. They are excited. They've been searching for Christ all day, and they finally found him. It reminds me of the night I became a Christian. I didn't know that I was searching for something, but apparently I was searching for Christ my whole life. I was just searching. I, my searching was in vain. I was looking for other things other than the true provider of my soul. And the night that I found him, there was an excitement in my heart. There was a joy in my life that I had never felt before. Because I found the savior of my soul. But that's not what's going on here. It'd be nice if that's what was going on here in this story. It's not. They were ecstatic, but it was for the wrong reason. They were ecstatic in the sense that they found a literal treasure. Like they found, like they found something that was going to give them something. They found something of great worth. The problem is, it wasn't, they weren't looking at Christ from spiritual lenses. Rather, they were looking at him as an earthly provider. So they found him and thought, great, we found the one who will 
bless us with things. And seeing that, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He tells them that in verse 26. So there are a couple interesting things here in this verse. First of all, Jesus says, truly, truly. I don't know if I said this before to you. I think I have. But when you hear the word truly, truly in scripture, it's important that you pay attention to that because there is a very important point that's about to be made. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. That is a good thing for us to seek after Christ, but not because you saw the signs, meaning not because you saw the power in the signs. And that led you to believe that I am who I said I am, the son of God, not because of that. But the reason why you are frantically seeking me is because I gave you something to eat. You liked it and you want more. In fact, you not only want what I gave you, your heart is already looking for something else. Something bigger, something better, something to replace the thing that I already gave you. Now, as we read that, we have to acknowledge that that is a sobering judgment on their hearts. And if we are like them, it should be a sobering judgment on our hearts. We should recognize how that falls short of what God wants from us, the worship that he wants, the devotion that he wants. You see, the people were seeking after him solely for materialistic gain. It's almost as if they were seeking after a, a government official for help. You know, in, in today's society, we vote upon and we, we vote upon the candidate that's going to do the most for us. We have a choice, and that is, a, that is our wonderful God-given choice that we have in this country. It's awesome that we can have a democracy like that, to choose the candidate that will help us the most or help our cause the most. And there's nothing wrong with doing that with the candidate, but we're talking about the Savior of the world. We're talking about the Son of God. And there is a difference between the Son of God and anybody else that is running for office. But these people are seeing him like a government official. And it's, it, it's easy to see that because if you just back up a little bit, that's the whole reason why they wanted to make him king. They saw how he, well he provided. And they probably thought, man, if this, if this man can do this, think what he can do for all of Israel. Think what he can do and how we can establish the kingdom of Israel again. And how we can rule the world. Because he is such a great provider. But again, seeking after Christ for those reasons, for those materialistic reasons, falls short of true and proper worship. Here is the matter. The matter is this, that the ugliness of their idol-seeking hearts were exposed. Jesus exposed their hearts as they came to him searching for him because they wanted something from him instead of just wanting him as their Lord and Savior. And from Jesus exposing their idle hearts, we can benefit from learning their lesson. And I truly believe that their lesson is found in verse 27. Let me read that for you. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. That's the truth that Jesus gives them after exposing their sin. He gives them this truth to discern, to think about. Now the lesson here is that they should not have been seeking after, after the earthly blessings as their end-all goal in life. That's the lesson here Jesus is, is teaching them. Don't look at the blessings that you receive. Don't look at the things around you. Don't look at the stuff as your end-all goal. Yes, they had been fed miraculously by him. But that should have pointed to him as the son of God. Instead, it pointed for them, it pointed to him as just another provider, a great provider who can continue to provide and provide and provide. Now, what Jesus told them was also a call to repentance. For them, not to seek him in order to receive temporary riches, glory, honor, whatever it was they were seeking, food. Rather, that they should seek him and look to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of their faith. Because that's exactly what the Bible says he is. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2, that he is the founder and that he is the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus and his ministry and what he did here on this, on this earth goes a lot further than just providing for us what we need uh, materialistically. The real provisions from him take, took place on the cross. And that's what I love about Hebrews 12 too. Because it promotes us, it tells us to look to Jesus as number one, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's the important thing that we must understand when it comes to our Savior. That he has provided all that we need on the cross. Because he has taken our place on the cross. He has received God's wrath on our behalf on the cross. And if we do not get anything else in life, if our life is full of sickness and we're broke and we're misunderstood and we're forsaken, if we do not have anything in in life, but yet we have Christ, we have everything we need. And that is the true lesson for today. But you see, we continue to seek after the things that God has blessed us with instead of God himself. And sometimes, I mean, most of the time, I like to believe we start off on the right path. We understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we understand that we should be worshiping him because he is the son of God, because he is our savior, because of what he has done for us on the cross, that we should worship him for those reasons. But we get distracted very easily. It's like that kid who's talking, 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 and he goes, ooh, squirrel, and then he starts talking, talking, talking again. That's us. We're focused on God. Something happens. We're like, oh, we turn our attention to that, and we forget to turn around and look back at Christ. 
We forget to look back at God who has blessed us with the thing that we are distracted with. And it's not his fault. It is our own fault because our hearts are idol factories. And we try to make idols out of anything and everything. But the Bible tells us, focus on Christ. Focus on him. Now, these people weren't the first in the history of the world to seek after Christ for something less. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed, but this is pretty difficult for me. And it's also difficult for Pastor Laramie as well. This topic has come up several times already as we have gone through this gospel. And I have to find a new and fresh way to preach it to you so that you can fully understand what God's word is pointing us to and what God is requiring of us. But this has happened several times where you heard this message that Christ is the object of our faith, or he should be. First of all, with, the, with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he was the very, very first one where he came, and as soon as, Christ, he, as, soon as he approached, approached Christ, Christ told him, you must be born again. I don't care what other reason why you're seeking me right now. Don't flatter me. You must be born again. That is your only true hope. And then he pointed to himself on how to be born again. Then the Samaritan woman, we spoke about the Samaritan woman and how she wanted this living water because she was tired of, of, of coming to the well every single day to retrieve water and being judged by people. So she wanted this living water where she'd never be thirsty again. She wanted it in the materialistic way, not the spiritual way. And then we also talked about the, uh, the Galileans twice already, how they received him twice Not because he was the savior of the world, not because they believed in him from the works that he did, because he would provide a blessing for them. So both times they were ecstatic about him coming around. Then we hear about other famous biblical stories. This past Wednesday, I taught on the rich fool and also the prodigal son, the rich young ruler. We can go on and on, but all these examples Uh, All these people set their hopes and faith in temporary objects rather than the eternal creator. Now, I think since this continues to come up for us in this gospel and how it's covered in so many other places in the Bible, we need to pay attention to this. This is extremely important. And this is why we need to pay attention to this. We can truly, I I know that God works all things for his glory and his honor. So think about that as I say this. But to place your faith and your hope and your devotion on things other than God is a wasted life. It is a waste of time. It is a wasted life and a waste of time. You were created for something more. You were created for something special. Let the world, let the world waste their time. You 
You have been chosen by God. You have been set apart. You belong to the royal priesthood of God. You were created to seek him, to search after him, to find him, and to serve him. That's what you were created for. And guess what? It's not going to be the most popular thing all the time. Will you be persecuted? Sure. And it may start from your own family. Will you be unpopular? Yes. Will you be misunderstood? Yes. But will you worship God adequately? More importantly, yes. That's exactly what we are created for, and that's why God has placed us here. As a Christian, you have devoted your life to seeking him. That's why I can call you a Christian. Make sure your motives stay pure as you do that. Christians, don't lose sight of Christ. He is your all in all. He must be the reason why you live. The Bible says that he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Listen to this. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That is Acts 17, 26 through 27. When we try to sum up, when I try to sum up what I'm saying here, this is a great passage for it. Our, our whole objective in life, our purpose in life, is to seek God, perhaps feel their way toward him and to find him. Now, I would not be doing you justice if I just told you to seek after God and not, not share any information or any knowledge on how to do that. And I, I do believe that the Bible not only tells us to do that, and, but it also tells us how to do that. And I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn there, you can with me. Matthew chapter 5, I, I want to hit that really quick because it really brings things into perspective on how we should seek after God and how we should seek after Christ. I believe that Jesus laid out a roadmap here in Matthew chapter 5 and to finding him, to truly finding him and truly seeking after him. First of all, it starts with us being poor in spirit. That's what Jesus points out. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? It means that we approach God with the fact knowing that we are sinners in need of a savior. That we have nothing to offer God but our sin. And if it weren't for God doing what he has done, we would be lost. And we would be, we would face the wrath of God if it wasn't for what God has done for us. So that's where it begins. It doesn't begin with you seeking after what he can provide for you. It's you seeking him knowing that you don't deserve him. But that somehow, some way, God extends his grace to us. Even though we do not understand it, it's above our heads. We can't comprehend it. But God has extended his grace to us. 
And because of that, we are poor in spirit. We know we are spiritually bankrupt. And we do not deserve him. It also involves that we mourn over our sin. For the Bible says that those who mourn over their sins will be comforted. So it's not only us saying, I am a broken man. I am full of sin. Without Christ, I cannot do anything else. It's not only that, because to me, that could be the easy part. Just saying, I am this person. But we have to not be happy with that. We have to mourn over our sin. Mourn over the sin that we have caused. Mourn over the fact that we have failed God, even though he has never failed us. So those who mourn over their sinful state are comforted. But the Bible also says that we must be meek. That means we must be power under control. And Jesus continues and he says, you must thirst and hunger for righteousness. If you do that, you will be satisfied. We must be merciful because we have received mercy. And we must seek him from a pure heart in order to see him. As I think about those things, it really makes sense to me on how Jesus should be sought by us. Now, notice one thing. You didn't see anything in here about you should seek him for blessings because the more you seek him, the more he's going to bless you. Can I get an amen for that? I didn't hear anything like that. I want to make sure everybody's listening still. I know it's past 12 o'clock, but this is very important. There's nothing in here that says you seek him because he has promised you something, and the reason why you seek him is to make him accountable to give that to you. That's not in there either. We are supposed to seek him from a, from a poor in spirit perspective. We are to mourn over our sin. We are to know that we are under his power. We are to thirst and hunger for him. Not, that, not anything that he can give us, but for righteousness, for him. We must be merciful because he has been merciful to us. And if we are going to seek him, it has to be from a pure heart in order to see him. In order to be his. In order to please him. Now, I want to end with this here. Are we seeking him? Are are we being like the people, the Israelites here in this passage? Are we seeking him for materialistic gain or for materialistic reasons? Now, I asked that question earlier. You know, who here is seeking God because they want blessings from him. And of course, like no hand goes up there, right? No one wants to acknowledge that. But here are some questions I would like to ask, have you ask yourself. And as I said, our lives, our lives tell the true story. Question number one, let me ask you, how do you pray? How do you pray? When you pray, There are different aspects to prayer. There's supplication, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Those are all different things that are displayed for us in the Lord's Prayer, which the Lord himself gave to us as a model of prayer. 
And in his prayer, obviously it's perfect. All those things are in there. But you know what I catch myself doing sometimes? When I pray, especially when I pray with my kids, it's all supplication. And what I mean by supplication, it's all requests. Supplication just means a humble request. That's the part of the prayer where you're asking God to help you, to give you. I find myself that sometimes I focus too much in that area. Especially when things are going hard, when things are difficult. I spend a lot of time in supplication. I've caught myself a couple of times where my whole prayer was supplication. Now, I understand there are times for it. But I'm talking about there's nothing dramatic going on. There's nothing urgent going on. It's just my heart wants to be an idol factory. And I start to think about myself too much. And I start to pray just for the things that I want to pray for. And I forget to adore God for how wonderful he is. I forget to thank him for what he's given me already. I even forget to confess my sins before him. If my sins were still attached to me, I wouldn't have any validation to be praying before him. I would do no right at all. So I ask you, how do you pray? Secondly, do you attend church, pray, or read your Bible mostly when you're going through difficulty in life? My marriage is in shambles. My job, I'm about to lose my job. My health is failing. I better go to church. Brothers and sisters, worship, true worship is simply not that it really isn't if you look at scripture scripture points us to do the opposite it tells us that we should not forsake the fellowship of believers the fellowship of the saints it tells us that the, that the Lord has set a day that he must be worshipped on And it doesn't matter if things are going good or things are going horrible. Scripture tells us that we should pray without ceasing. That means when things are going good, things are going horrible. And that we should live on every word that proceeds from God. That means we pick up our Bibles when things are going good and things are going horrible. For us, it must be a continual seeking. If you're only seeking, if you're only doing these things, going to church, praying, reading your Bible, when things are difficult, then you might be one of those Christians who is currently seeking after Christ for materialistic reasons. Are you living a life of repentance? That's the third question. Are you overly concerned about just receiving things from him But do you worry about holiness? Are you living a life of repentance as God calls you to? Are you worried about spiritual growth? We have to remember that the Bible says that we are being sanctified into the image of our creator. In other words, are you growing 
to be more like Christ? Or are you just calling down blessings from the Lord because he owes you a blessing? Fourth, is your theology God-centered or man-centered? If God is only a means to your personal enrichment, that means your theology is man-centered. God shouldn't be just that because that makes him like a genie in a bottle. Our theology needs to be God-centered because the Bible says that he is the creator. We are the ones who were created by him. He has given us a purpose, and that purpose is to worship him. We were created to bring him honor and glory. And that is true through any and all circumstances. So, those are the four questions I think that are really important for us to think about today to analyze why we follow Christ. I pray that you think about that today and if there's any fault in you that you repent. I'm open and honest with you as much as I can be. and I try not to paint myself in a good light up here. And I like to set the example to say first and foremost that there's repentance needed on my part in my prayers. That's why I shared that with you. I'm not going to stand up here and look at that, those four questions and say I do all that perfectly all the time. I hope you don't see those four questions and think I do that perfectly all the time. The true fact is, is that we all fall short in one area or another. We must humble ourselves. We must repent. We must continue to pray to God and ask him for help. Let's pray. Father, we